this water is for the entire state of California. It is the Keystone Project in the 40s that created the large uh, corporate farming in the desert and makes California rich. This water makes it rich. It covers up our homeland. It displaced us. It gave us nowhere to live. And it took our salmon away and gave the salmon nowhere to live. Some people see it just as a recreational area. Yeah, they don't know where it comes from and they don't know basically anything about water. Most people, surprisingly enough, know only that left handle is hot and the right handle is cold. That's Winnemum Wintu Chief Colleen Sisk. She's looking at Shasta Lake, reflecting on what it represents to her people. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired by Interfaith Voices. This week, we continue the special series following Chief Colleen and the Winnemum Wintu as they challenge efforts to raise the Shasta Dam. The Winnemum Wintu are not alone in their fight to protect water for the salmon. A little later in the program, we meet a member of the Lumi Nation, Daryl Hilaire, who shares how a new documentary, A Sacred Obligation, is raising awareness and bringing together what he calls the Salmon People. But first, this fifth installment in A Prayer for Salmon. Here's producer Judy Silber. Chief Colleen wants the whole state of California to wake up, to understand we need to protect our water. She also wants justice. She wants the salmon back. We're going to take you on the run for salmon, a Winnemum Wintu ceremony that is calling salmon back to waters above Shasta Dam. The run follows the migration path of salmon for hundreds of miles. It will conclude above this lake, but it starts far south of here, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, I grab you just for a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, I know you're Just tell me where we are mm-hmm. and what we're doing. Sure. We are at Segorite, one of the ancient village sites, the older village sites of my ancestors. This is Karina Gould, spokesperson for the Confederate villages of Lashawn, Ohlone, and a strong ally of the Winnemum Wintu. We have always been here. We're what is now called Vallejo, California, right along the Carquina Strait. We stand on ground that is now a county park and look out on the wide San Francisco Bay. 200 years ago, these waters teemed with migrating salmon. And it was a great place for trading because people would come down the waters, um, would trade, we would have ceremony here. There were a couple of shell mounds that were here. Over the next few days, Karina will lead Wintu, indigenous allies, and other supporters across the territory of her people. By acting as a local escort across these Ohlone and Bay Miwok lands, Karina and the Wintu are following the protocol of their ancestors. So there's this story that, that I know about protocol when people come to your land that they actually ask permission to cross, whether it's to come and get medicine or if it's to come and uh, to trade or to come and visit relatives, but they stand outside in a respectful way and wait for someone to come and get them and welcome them there. 
Like Karina's lesson about protocol, the run for salmon relies on ancestral wisdom that, that we all carry with us in our blood, and it's everyone's responsibility to um, make sure that these prayers are done and that these songs are sung. To remember, Judy, that the run for salmon is just one of countless ways that Indigenous peoples have tried to effectuate change in their world. Here's Lila June Johnston again. She's an Indigenous scholar who's helping to guide us throughout this series. There's a long history of Native activism in this country, right? Well, yes, I think I have a problem with the word activist only or activism because I kind of think of what Winona LaDuc said. She said, why does wanting clean water make me an activist? <laughs> I mean, ever since 1492, uh, we, we've been engaged in, in actions to, to simply persevere as a people. So, I mean, you have the Pueblo Revolt of 1680, where indigenous peoples literally kicked out the Spanish crown from the state of New Mexico for decades. Can you tell us about some of the more recent attempts to bring about change? Of course. I mean, it doesn't just happen in the past. Ever since the 1900s, we've been entering a new era, I would say, of indigenous action. Everything from coming out of the boarding schools, coming out of state-ordered extermination policies, sadly, coming out of forced relocation like the Long Walk and, and the Trail of Tears. And we've been really engaged in a new form of asserting our rights, asserting our dignity, and letting people know we're here. This includes the American Indian movement of the 1960s. And, you know, the 60s were just this bubbly, incredible time period where so many waves of consciousness were flowing through humanity, and indigenous peoples were no exception. We had the American Indian movement. We had the longest walk. We had the occupation of Alcatraz. We had fishers in New England and the Pacific Northwest doing nonviolent civil disobedience by just fishing <laughs> what they've been fishing for thousands of years. And it's been really quite beautiful what, what has happened in the past century. What about Standing Rock? How, does, how is that playing out today? I think Standing Rock has absolutely defined indigenous action uh, within this millennium, we have shown the world that we are capable of articulating a message and reaching a global audience. We were simply trying to protect the very thing that not only gives indigenous peoples life, but all of us life, and that's water. And in a way, in a big way, that's exactly what the Winnemum Wintu are doing today with the run for salmon. Chapter 5, The Run for Salmon. Hey, the walk is leaving now. Bye. Goodbye. See you guys. It's September, already a warm day with the promise of getting hotter. The run for salmon starts out at Segorite on a dirt trail that winds through low hills full of chaparral. Over two days, we'll walk a total of 27 miles. We look out at the Carquinas Strait, where the San Francisco Bay narrows before it opens up again. All life is sacred. Water is life. Water is medicine. Water is sacred. An elder named Wounded Knee, Dale Campo, is here. He's Miwok from the Sierra Foothills, one of many allies who support the Winnemawintu on the run for salmon. Wounded Knee is what's known as a long walker, 
and for much of today, he will walk at the front of the group. He earned the title in 1978 when Native American activists marched across the country to protest policies that took away indigenous rights. The battle must go on to protect something that's very sacred to everybody that lives on this earth as earth people. At times, the run feels festive. People are chatty, they joke around a lot. But when we're actually walking, the group is often serious, like in a prayer. We walk at a steady pace. Hand drums and ceremonial songs keep us focused. The group is often single file as it winds its way through urban neighborhoods. Even walking through these areas is it's, um, it's putting step by step, like even if it's not like the, the prettiest part all the time, you know, just by stepping on the land, you, you have a different relationship. Stephanie Dodaro is in her mid-40s, of mostly European heritage, but traveled cross-country with indigenous activists a few years ago. She says walking in prayer is a different way to walk on the land. You, you put sweat equity into that. You become bonded with it in a, in a different way. And so you get to appreciate it more as, as the end result. Out here, her walking prayer focuses on the run for salmon's goals. You know, I think about salmon. I think about the water. I think about everyone has to drink the water. You know, everyone who's affected by, you know, the, everything that's happening in our environment. The land we're on is pretty built up. The railroad hugs the shore for a ways. There's military and industrial development, including a CNH sugar plant and a shell refinery. Also a lot of housing, sidewalks, cars, strip malls, concrete. Winnemum Wintu Chief Kaline isn't walking with us, but she checks in regularly by car. At one point, she takes note of the surroundings. It's incredible because this should be marshland. This should all be tules. It should be like a, almost like the Everglades. We stand on the street. Cars whip by. She looks out at the boxy houses and wide streets and laments the thoughtless development. It's like this is such a sensitive estuary that is critical to the salmon in their journey to the northern rivers. The houses everywhere, they've diverted the water system so that the springs don't come up here anymore. And, you know, this is called uh, modern living, you know, but with no sense of where is appropriate to live. And this is what uh, modern living did not consider. It did not consider what salmon needed. The beauty of salmon is the way they travel vast distances across diverse habitats to fulfill their destiny, to breed the next generation. Before we move on, let's review how it would go if you were an adult salmon. After feeding in the wide Pacific Ocean for a few years, you'd start the long journey back to where you were born. You'd first pass into inland waters through one small opening under the Golden Gate Bridge. Then you'd head east through the San Francisco Bay before coming to the place where two great rivers meet, the Sacramento and San Joaquin. They form what's called the Delta, 
once a prolific feeding ground for all kinds of fish. Through it and beyond, you do your best to smell your way back to the place where you'd been born. All of the human rerouting of water might confuse your sense of direction. But if you manage to follow the Sacramento River, about as far as you could get is Shasta Dam. When it was first built, people told stories of salmon hurling themselves against the dam as they tried to jump past. If you're a salmon today, your DNA might tell you to push forward, but you'd be stuck. There's no way to make it to Winnemumwintu homelands on the McLeod River, where your salmon relatives once abundantly spawned. Back on the run for salmon, we walk through nicely manicured neighborhoods. With their footsteps, the walkers want to wake people up to the plight of salmon and to raise awareness about threats to water and their habitat. Here's how Michael Preston puts it. It feels like I'm doing my, my purpose in life. You know, this is my job as a dancer and as a, as a Winnemum Wintu man and human being um, to speak up for salmon and water and the land and indigenous ways, indigenous life ways and, and the spirituality of it all and speak up on behalf of all that and the best we can anyways. To bring the salmon back, Michael says the Winnemum Wintu need a lot of help. We need everything's help. We need the salmon's help, we need the birds' help, we need the trees' help, we need the rain's help, we need the wind's help, we need Mother Earth's help, we need the fire's help, everything, basically, because that's the, the time of, that's the time right now. The indigenous people have been saying that for a long time, not just us, but around the world, you know, but about what time it is, and it's not looking very great, and that's not a non-optimistic point of view. We are very optimistic, that's why we're doing this. He's optimistic, but Chinook salmon in this watershed are struggling. Scientists estimate the number of adults that return to spawn is one-tenth or less than what it was historically. To understand more about the habitat where we now walk, I consult with one of California's foremost salmon experts. Okay, this is Peter Moyle. I'm a professor emeritus at the University of California, Davis, working with fish. Peter Moyle tells me the landscape in and around the Bay Area creates a special environment with a brackish mix of fresh and ocean water, ideal for migrating salmon. You can see on the map here, this is Susan Bay. Then you go down over here, you're in the Carquinez Straits. The Carquinez Straits are so amazing because it's this narrow canyon that then flows into San Francisco Bay and then the water goes out the Golden Gate. So it creates an incredibly complex estuary. Salt water is denser than fresh water. So if you think about your chemistry class, they're usually separated out. But these are tidal waters connected to the ocean. The moon's gravity pulls them up and down. It mixes the fresh and salt water together And that creates a kind of between space where salmon can transform to become either salt or freshwater fish, depending on whether they're coming or going from the ocean. The mixing also helps to produce a rich food source for juvenile salmon. So the whole system 
you could argue, was set up to be a salmon production system. It just did everything it possibly could to make, make life good for these juvenile salmon. But today, this estuary is not what it once was. Development along the waterway and competing demands for where the water goes has disrupted its natural balance. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. When we return, producer Judy Silver continues the story. We'll follow the salmon run ceremony on a bridge in Martinez, California, as the meditation walk continues. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Umbreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. If you're just joining, we've been listening to another installment in a special series called A Prayer for Salmon. This week, producer Judy Silver is taking us on a sacred ritual, a walking meditative prayer ceremony to bless the salmon run. Now, as we get back, the group is gathered outside on a bridge in Martinez, California. walking through this residential area for a little bit and then this part of the walk is where we're going to cross the bridge as well. By early afternoon, we're crossing okay. over the Benicia Martinez Bridge in the eastern section of the Carquinas Straits. The group steps onto a pedestrian walkway. The bridge shakes and hums from the force of cars. It's unbearably loud. The walkers sing, but the noise drowns out their songs. At the center of the 1.2-mile bridge, they stop. They put faces to protective slats, look out at the murky gray water, and say silent prayers for the salmon. I've always welcomed the sight of the Bay Area's waters from a bridge like this. Even with all the development around it, the water inherently gives you a sense of freedom. 
like you're touching something ground. But as I walked the ground next to the bay, it starts to sink in that salmon must somehow navigate their way through these less than pristine waters. On the Benicia Martinez Bridge, Becca, the woman charged with keeping the Run for Salmon group moving, says it's time to wrap up their prayers. And then notes that's a funny thing to say. We cross to the other side of the bridge and go down a small slope. Tell me where we are. Uh, we are in the petroleum district in Martinez. We just crossed the waterway into the petroleum district. Gary Thomas is a Pomo ceremonial song leader from Lake County, about two hours north of where we are now. I am a descendant of the LM Indian colony as well as the Habanapo people, which is my mother's people, which is uh, north of here in uh, Lake County, which we would call Kayabatin, which is big water. He's here with his son, Gerald. They met Chief Kaline Sisk a few years back. The first run for salmon, they came for just a few days. Now they stay and help out the entire two weeks. They often walk at the front of the group where they sing song after song from Pomo country. What were you thinking when we crossed the water? Well, the beauty of the ceremony and the song carries us, but then you, you just can't help but see the devastation. You know, the tankers in the, in the, in the, in the water and the, all of the contaminants that's going through the bay. Contaminants he knows are harmful to salmon. We see black smoke floating into the air. It's from the nearby Shell refinery, one of five in the Bay Area. Together, they make up about a quarter of California's total refining capacity. America needs to wake up because this is really what's making us sick. I mean, indigenous people as well as every human being on the face of the earth is suffering some kind of a sickness result of, of all of the petroleum extraction and everything that's here in this, this area. It's uh, kind of depressing. So. Later, I will turn to local indigenous leaders to learn more. They will speak to me about the oil spills and polluted water that make their way into the bay. It's clear none of this is good for anyone, including salmon. The next morning, we continue to head east, doing our best to follow the salmon's migration path. There's no trail along the water, so we walk inland a bit. If this were 200 years ago, we would see herds of deer, antelope, and elk, along with the Ohlone and Bay Miwok people who fished and hunted on this land. Instead, we pass strip malls, gas stations, and tract housing. At different points, the nearly 4,000-foot-high Mount Diablo comes into view. In Spanish, Diablo means devil. But this was a sacred mountain to the native people of these parts, held as the birthplace of the world. The sun low, a small convoy of support cars, encourages us with honking and yelling as we finish out the day. 
We walk through downtown Pittsburgh. Here, you can feel the layers of history that helped shape California's path, where the needs of settlers took priority over those of nature and salmon. During the gold rush, fortune seekers passed through this town on their way to the mountains. Behind us, in the foothills of the sacred Mount Diablo, companies started mining coal. At a small park near the water's edge, Chief Kaleen gathers the group in a circle. We can see the meeting place of the two great rivers, the Sacramento and San Joaquin. Here, salmon canneries operated for more than 80 years. But it's the river of seven major rivers, plus a lot of tributaries that create this water behind us. And of those rivers are many different peoples, many different tribes, beliefs, songs, dances, all the way down to here. To the person next to her, she passes a wooden salmon, a symbol of what they're here for. As it goes around the circle, people speak about their experiences on the walk. Lashan Ohlone leader Karina Gould takes the salmon in her hand. I'm so thankful that in my lifetime that we are able to see this happen, mm-hmm. that we're able to see um, many different nations come together and tribes come together the Winnemum and the Ohlone, creating that relationship, recreating that relationship, the ongoing relationship together, to bringing the salmon people together all along the waterways. The salmon continues to make its way around the circle. Those who touch it express sadness, sorrow, dreams, and hope. The salmon will carry those emotions the whole 300-plus miles to the Winnemum Wintu homelands on the McLeod River. Whew. That's a lot. Uh, so much goodness. Know that's uh, coming through you and coming up through this grounds. That was Judy Silber reporting with the Spiritual Edge at KALW public radio. The team that brings us a prayer for salmon includes the editors, Loretta Williams and Jeb Sharp, producers, Adriana Rodriguez and Deborah Kroll, Katie McClutchen in research, and Donia Abdelhamid, fact checker. The sound engineers, Tarek Fauda and Chris Agusa, and photographer, Tom Levy. Additional information about this special series can be found in this week's show notes. At the end of this episode, we heard Ohlone leader Karina Gold reflect on the alliance and relationship building that's happening as Native people come together to protect the water and the salmon. And it made me wonder, who are the salmon people? Coming up, Daryl Hilaire, a member of the Lumi Nation, explains why so many tribal and non-tribal people are joining this movement and effort to save the salmon. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. Thank you.